So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker and Meg, why don't you run down what Inside Tracker is and what you can get? Yeah, so Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics. With a simple blood test and using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. And the good news for our listeners is for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash drop in. This is Thomas with Believe in the Run. This is Robbie with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And you're listening to The Drop, our weekly podcast about all things running and all the nonsense that goes along with running and all the fun stuff that goes along with running. And uh, this week's not going to be that much different. Right, Robbie? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was like three feet away from you. Yeah, Robbie was like stretching. (laughs) He's like, I guess guess I'll stretch now that the show's coming on. Um, You didn't say hi, I'm Thomas from... Hi, this is Thomas. You just said this is Thomas. Oh. You know, I'm, people I'm, are you gonna, should greet sure. people. Hello, friends. There we go. <laughs> no. All right. Now it's just five minutes of saying hello. Yeah, there you go. And now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> just kidding. Stay tuned. Just kidding. You yeah, don't heard, hit that 15 you second. Heard that. Yeah, somebody already <laughs> just did that 15 second forward thing on us. But, All right. Uh, yeah. Um, here we are. Yeah, let's talk first off, catch up on running. Yeah, there's a lot to dive into this week. A lot of fun races happened, are happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're preparing for stuff. Yeah. Like Robbie's running up. It was last week to talk about. Yeah, well, last week we talked about your nutty run in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. This week you're going back for more hat training. Tell us what's going on, Robbie. Oh, um, yes. So I did my peak mileage weekend or whatever. Weekend for day. the hat 50K. Yeah, for the hat 50K, which is a... Uh, it's pretty like legendary East Coast race. Yeah. Like it's like a long run sure. East Coast race. Yeah, we get Christopher McDougal's run it. We've had all kinds of celebrities coming. Like a lot it. of yeah, like yeah. Um, some of the ultra runners on the East Coast. But anyways, <laughs> when I say celebrities running, celebrities. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so the I had a twenty mile run this weekend, and but you did uh, ten miles the day before, right? No, I was going to, but I've had this pain on the top of my foot, which I think was from really wrenching down my laces on the tecton the week before and then like slamming downhills and stuff so i think it came it cropped up like thursday where it was like just hurt kind of to walk on friday what but saturday felt a little bit better and so obviously (laughs) i'm gonna run 20 miles um with matt kacharski yeah with uh one of our reviewers and friends and we did. We just did loops in Oregon Ridge Park, which is in Maryland. And do you guys play the banjo the whole time you're running? <laughs> no, we just. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was trying to think. We we did we did talk about the, uh, like the term holler, which we okay we that we covered. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So uh, and you know I was trying to explain it in my head what it was last week, and so I was like, let me just Google it just to see like the best way to describe this. All right. And it was it was kind of what I said, which is that. It's like not a valley between two peaks, not a valley, but yeah, it's like w- when you look up, there's just like mountains all around you. Okay, 
And then it's just like, there's usually like a stray dog in the road. Right. <laughs> and then, I like that. And then with and like an old baby doll. <laughs> yeah. Oh. There's always like one of those yeah. baby dolls. Yeah. It's dirty. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, just like everyone knows if you're, like, you, there's like only like one way in and one way out. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so but, how'd the 20 miles go? It was great. Yeah. Uh, it's always nice when you can do a long run with somebody else. I feel like it just, and it looked good. I mean, your, your paces and stuff, it's kind of fun for me to check it out because obviously we've all around here have run Oregon Ridge. So, you know, I know what your loops look like. Yeah. I know there's a faster bastards ultra that we do or whatever. Eight hour race and that the Oregon trail, the same. (laughs) Yeah. What, what do you, what do you call it? Like the Oregon death trail, death trail, <laughs> yeah. death race, uh, death race. Yeah. Um, and so I know it, I know the challenges of that. It, it has a little bit of everything that you're going to find on the hat course. So yeah, that's it's, nice. It's very comparable to the hat course, even elevation and everything is close to the same for the distance that we did. And it was that nice. So it was a weird day because when we started, it was 45 degrees, maybe a little bit colder. And then it was like raining at one point and then it warmed up to like, you know 65 but yeah it was weird because we were when we were in the valley it was like cold and then there's you just hit this pocket as soon as you get and it must have elevated like 15 degrees like oh, wow. immediately like on the backside when you're coming up that hill yeah and it was nice. just humid and hot and it was so oh. weird um but it, it, yeah it was just a very interesting uh temperature range but i love the trails when they're like when they soften up a little bit to where they're almost like tacky you know yeah that's like the best trail. Uh, my, my favorite part of that course and is when you're coming around after you've crossed the river stream and then there's like this like straightaway that runs along the stream. Yeah, I know it's exactly just, where that is. Yeah, I, I don't know it's why nice. I like that so much, but that's oh. where it was probably cool for you. Yeah, I love that part. And you just, I don't know, you just get into a Cause rhythm. Because it's flat and yeah. you've been like going up or down. and Yeah, and it's it a just, nice spot. Yeah, I love that. What spot. shoes did you wear? Um, so, again, I haven't been able to, I haven't had trail shoes to test, so I wore the Peg Trail 3, the Gore-Tex version, and that was pretty nice. Um, not, like, a super fast shoe, but a lot of comfort. Yeah. And then I... Well, you guys, the goal wasn't to go fast, was it? No, no. But I was trying to see if, like, maybe I'd wear them on race day. Okay. Which, jury's still out on that. But then the Topo Athletic Terra Venture, which was a terrible decision because I didn't realize <laughs> it was a minimal shoe. Oh, <laughs> I, I get their names mixed up because there's like Ultra Venture, Terra Venture, like all these ventures. Yeah. And I just grabbed them because I do, I love the fit of Topo Athletic for some reason. They, I just love the way their uppers fit. And uh, and the grip, they have really good, nice outsole. But it was very low stack. And you're feeling everything. And that's the problem with Maryland Trails is like depending on the weather, if we've had a washout or if like it's dry the trails really change and if you get it after a washout you're gonna feel every like little stone and bump yeah and and actually that wasn't an issue it was just like just the you know running 20 miles the second half was a little harsh wait you wore them for the second half yeah oh so even now on is sending robbie some trail shoes to try out and hopefully they'll get here before hat they there's a package arriving today oh Ah. i would like if they got here before the weekend because maybe i can get out like 10 just see if they how your feet feel yeah i think it's the cloud ultra which i've never worn before which would also be awesome because I, I think they're sending a singlet that we can customize yeah that'd be cool um yeah so i, I did i did fall again which like, <laughs> it's on the trail last running week, which is but it's weird because i've until last run and this run 
I think I've only fallen one other time ever on trails. I've uh, fallen more on the road than on trails. Okay, <laughs> you know when we came back from the, the running event and I, we did the, the Oregon race. Yeah. I did, I think, two or three loops and I fell. Two or three times? Uh, two times each loop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was like I went down. I will say my skateboarding skills from being from younger have saved me many times. Mm. Oh, I know how to fall. Of yeah. just tucking and rolling. Yeah. You do the it's shoulder nice. roll. Yeah. Yeah. You're good to go. Um, but yeah, anyways, it was, it was a good, it was a good run. All right. Um, You're ready to go. I don't know. I'm a little, I have little aches and pains, which comes as natural. Yeah. But yeah. The closer you get to the race day, the more they'll yeah. pop up. It's but called, th- it's called Advil. But I think I would slam an ibuprofen, um, <laughs> nonstop, but I think I can, the, the actual top of the foot thing that feels pretty good at this point. It's just a little bit. So I think it, it's fine. I'm going to be good. Cool. And let's move on over here to Megan, who is like, I don't know what you've eaten. Actually, I do know what you're eating because I'm there most <laughs> of the time. But uh, oh. she's freaking killing it. Like, like today, Maggie did it. How many total miles? Uh, 13. 13, but eight of them were. It was. I had a workout that was eight by one mile repeats. And you kind of just, so we can understand, you went out. You didn't even want to do the workout. No, it was one of those days. Well, first of all, it was 38 degrees and like pouring rain here. So that's just hard to get out the door <laughs> to start with. like the worst weather this yeah. morning. Um, and then I got out there and just my legs felt heavy. Like you ever just like yeah. your legs just feel kind of like lead. Like every yeah. time that we go on a Saturday morning run with the bastards, <laughs> I'm like, I, I'll run to the like to the start and I'll be like, Jeez. I don't know how I'm going to run today. Oh, and you ran so that. I, okay. I played I played that little game where it's like just do one more repeat. And mm-hmm. I just kept saying that to myself until finally the workout was over. But surprisingly, my legs felt better later towards the workout. I don't know. I think it was because my hands were frozen and they hurt so bad that the pain just changed from legs to hands. But either way, it was um a confidence boosting workout. I mean, this whole yeah. training cycle should be a confidence boosting. Whoa, you snuck in a 555 mile in there? Um, According to Strava. Yeah, well, the because the miles are... Uh, even. Yeah. Oh, because you're doing rest? Yeah. It was, there was two minutes in between each mile repeat, but... Um, so she was actually did oh, several. Yeah. So at, you're uh, doing a lot five. of them at that pace? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so... I mean, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm just hoping I can keep it up. And do you I have a strategy for Boston? I still don't know what I'm going to do. Okay. I have a lot of people I know that want to just go sub three, and that sounds appealing to be with people that I know. Yo, and if you get the Des Linden conditions, you might place top twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Especially if you stop and help Shalane in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're practicing in this kind of garbage weather, you'll be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, watching a training for me this cycle has been like really enjoyable because, like, just you're, I feel like you just keep getting stronger. Yeah. I mean, we just got our blood panel back from Inside Tracker and like all of that is going in the right direction. So I feel like all the uh, 
HGH levels are at the right, <laughs> at the correct level. Yeah, all the <laughs> testosterone is not yeah, being uh, being. Uh, it's no. mainly always been the iron for me that's been deficient, and finally figured out how to get that up. So have that's you, good. Have you done any more research into whether iron levels prevent cramping? I I haven't found any sub, like significant evidence that like make this equals this. Yeah, but there's a lot be- of. There needs to be a doctor of science on this that <laughs> listens to this show. I know. That's a, a learned man. A learned man. A learned doctor. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like a lot of correlation that I feel like woman. there has to be some. Nice safe. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be. <laughs> there, there has to, like, the fact that I didn't have any sort of leg cramps, which is the only time that this has happened in a marathon in the past 10 years, is that my iron levels are up. Like I mean, there has I, to be a correlation. I agree with you. The same thing with uh, since I started taking iron supplement last year, no issue. I used to get cramping even after long runs, after obviously in the summertime, but even in races, for sure after races, and I haven't had any since then. It's amazing. So yeah. get that iron up, people. Also, Robbie's down in the cramp crushers. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> no, you didn't use them last time, right? Uh, no, I used no, Martin. Martin. Oh, no, I used Martin's okay, last did. All right, awesome. Yeah. And he had a PR. So, oh, yeah, I, awesome. Although I did, I hit some cramp crushers. <laughs> oh, the, but this past, this past uh, long run was the long run where, like, your, uh, your energy gel box is down to its last like, leg. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just what a I grab ba- it's a grab bag of shit I want at races or shit I picked up at races and like just like the Halloween bag. <laughs> yeah. We have a drawer of stuff that's from races and yeah. like every once in a while I'll try something and I'm like, oh Dude, God. I, I did four different things during that long run. <laughs> so I did uh <laughs> Did you have a Coca Cola? No, I, I w- that would have been nice. Because okay. I'll Cause do normally Kacharski has mm-hmm. a little cooler. We had nitro after the race oh, um so we i did a cramp crushers of course um <laughs> and then i did the coffee maple remember that maple com- company i the love untapped? those yeah untapped. Oh, untapped i love i will those would never last in my wait it was a coffee flavored one coffee flavored okay one. that sounds good not even flavored it's, it's like, like a coffee's breakfast. in it yeah like uh, coffee and syrup and syrup <laughs> you might as well just put a pancake it's, in it's pretty pocket. good i'm not gonna lie and then, uh, and then I did. This is the worst one. I just spit it up. Was the um, like the hoppy trails goo? Oh yeah, where it's oh, like yeah. supposed to taste like hoppy beer. Oh, and no. at first, at first bite, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah, just like spit it all on the ground. And yeah, yeah. It's like no whenever someone parks in that parking spot and they're gonna look, look out their door and be like have no idea what just happened in that parking lot because it's a gel, a gel <laughs> a lot, looks disgusting a lot of goo on the ground yeah. yeah um and then i think i had like something else like a random drink mix hydration mix mm. that sounds like a good good mixture there you survived is there is there you part of you during a long run where if you do a long run you almost want to poorly do nutrition just no. to like get into That's, the they have that people do depletion depletion runs, runs. Yeah, so like just to we've, be like this. Uh, we've, we've debunked just, them. We've discussed this on Fuel for the Soul with Megan. Um, there is science to suggest that by completely depleting your glycogen of yeah, it goes to the fat. Source. Like you, but that that immediately slows you down. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not so much talking about that as like a as a strategy. I'm just saying like sometimes for some runs, doing that to gain a mental component where it's like just working through the shit. So here's the thing. One, your performance is going to lack, so you're not going to gain confidence from it. Two, 
if you fuel correctly, you should never get to that point in a race. I mean, we've we've gone we've talked about this in. Uh, it's actually interesting because Megan forwarded me also this uh, this ritual podcast of the mindset. Oh, it's a good one. And it's just like clips of like the best mindset clips from several people. Oh, so it's kind of like a potpourri. You've got like Courtney DeWalter yeah. and and I actually think if you want to explore that, like getting to a hard place, uh, this is you, go listen to that episode. And first listen to this whole episode of this show and then <laughs> go and then go listen to that. But it, it's really good. There's some tidbits that I really enjoyed. Like Courtney had something uh, that reframed the way that I think about like hitting the wall, like or hitting that hard spot um, where instead of trying like I've always tried to train to avoid getting to the hard spot so that like I could run well enough that yeah, I wouldn't hurt. Right. And she's like, no, I like getting to the hard spot because that's where I can do my work. So that's what I kind of mean. Like, not not necessarily, but not nutrition properly, but just like when you go the hardest, you can't just like experience. Right. But just do that. Do that through your pace and and your. your, Yeah. Like it would be much more beneficial. Both, I think. Mentally and mentally and physically physically is to you properly fuel and then push yourself to a level of discomfort. Because here's the other thing that happens when you don't get the right nutrition is you get injured. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, it, it's great if you're doing a depletion run and then you tear muscles or something and you're like, oh, now I can't run at all. Yeah. It versus fueling properly, getting the right nutrients to all your tendons and muscles and all that stuff, but then starting to push harder and reach your okay your pain and stuff through that. Yeah. But I, I will say I actually felt good until like mile twenty, and then I was hit a hit a wall. And then you were done, like though. three and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, but it, again, didn't feel great. Like, did you also have like twenty was your goal? Yeah, so that's the other thing is that I also knew we had to do more because Matt stopped, forgot to like he paused his watch at one point oh, for no. a mile, and he was like, uh, "I got to do like another mile." And I was like, "Dude, yeah, <laughs> it had twenty in my head." See that, and now, and then I hit the wall. Yeah, I I think <laughs> that has more, sure. yeah, yeah, more to do with it. I, I find that even with the repeats. So I was doing repeats this morning, and you know, it, I don't know if it's a second or third repeat where I'm like, depending on how many I'm doing, I usually kind of get a mental rut, like in the very beginning first. Right, because once you're over the halfway point, you're kind of like, well, no, and then I usually that second to last one. Is, oh, is really, really? tough okay. yeah like like the yeah, la- yeah. last one i can usually be like okay there's the last one just crank it out yeah it's that second where you're like i know i've got two more I feel you and you're just like oh, i want to stop but um like i said listening to that podcast had some useful information for me stuff that i'm going to take into our 5k on sunday our shamrock 5k mm-hmm. oh go to the pain cave yeah yeah well no i'm gonna not instead of being like afraid of when i get there I'm going to be like, all right, let's get there. And then we can start doing the work. Yeah. Tommy knocker over here. Yeah. So how are you feeling about it? Are you ready? Do, do you had your last workout today? I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Last workout today. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic that I'm in a good place physically right now. I don't know that I had the best training because of the, some of the injury stuff leading into it, but I feel really good right now. So I'm excited just to see what happens. And then I'm also trying to use it for my personal self. 
you know, I always think about, well, if it doesn't work out this time, there's next time. And I'm trying to train myself to start thinking more like, hey, this is the moment. This is the time. Who knows if I'll be healthy for the next time or who knows if something, you know, I do stupid shit all the time, like going on slides and busting my knee. Like if I can get to the line and feel good, like, let's see what see what we can take do. advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. And I'm also trying to get out of my head. Like a lot of times I have expectations of where I'd like to be versus where my training and fitness is telling me where I'd be. So like I may have a thing where I like this is the time I want, even if none of my training <laughs> aligns. Show, aligns it. And then I get finished and I'm like depressed because I didn't hit a time that I didn't have the fitness for. So now I'm kind of like, um, all right, let's just see what happens. Let's be a little more open-minded with the time. And that worked with that last marathon where I was able to, yeah, I, sh I could have been depressed about being 15 seconds over the BQ, but I ran well and I felt great the whole race and I executed the way that I wanted to. Um, if I had known I was that close, yeah, I probably would have been able to punch out the extra, mm. extra time, which is kind of a little bit of regret, but um, no regrets, man. Yeah, no, re no regrets. <laughs> um, but you know, it's that's that's life, and that's the running. And I'm trying to embrace sometimes not being exactly Dude, where this I want to be. You should have no expectations for this race because it's free. You got a deferral. Yeah. Uh, from two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Which I didn't even know I had. So. Oh, you didn't. Are, oh, you're not I, doing it. I was signed up. It was the first thing canceled by COVID. Yeah. Two years. I ago. remember that. It was literally. Yeah. 12 hours. I think we picked up the packet. The bibs, yeah, we picked then, up the bibs. Yeah, it was like it's over. Yeah, and that was COVID. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know there was, <laughs> we still had entries for it. Yeah, that's what I used. So I couldn't do it anyways because I came easy way. But um, yeah, so just do your thing, man. That's what I, well, that's what I'm trying to get into that kind of headspace where it's just like, just run what I can run. It's also kind of a party. It starts at 1 p.m. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. St. Patty's Day like, parade let it go. afterwards. Yeah. Who cares? yeah. You just gotta go. Yeah, that well, is a crazy uh, one o'clock start. Do you know what the weather is? It's Forty. Uh, it's gonna be in the forties. It's 40s. gonna be chilly. Yeah, yeah nice. Perfect. Yeah. There you go. It's a it's a perfect course for doing well. It's got yeah. a nice downhill, downhill at the beginning. There's a slight uphill as you go into the uh, end of the first mile, and then you just go out flat, come back flat, slight downhill, and then party and then just time. Rip to the finish. By the way. Is Baltimore uh, celebrates St. Patrick's Day for like a month, which is that normal in other places? Because I feel like it's just here. I, I feel think, like it's just here. Okay. No, I think people have extended it. Okay, here. Certainly Boston. Here in Savannah. Maybe, yeah. Savannah is huge. Savannah, Georgia. Really? Okay. I don't know why it's so big in Savannah, but because it is they, huge. Because they dye the river green and Don't it's they do like, that in Chicago too? Or is that yeah. Not? Okay. But uh, it, do they still do that? I feel like they like are... That's I don't think it's no, I don't think it's bad. In Inner Harbor is just always green. Yeah. <laughs> Ours comes, that's why we have a month long cuz it's like it's <laughs> yeah. already green. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I Savannah I've never understood because you know, southern Yeah, it's an interesting town, one. but it apparently is like Mardi Gras. Have you there. ever been there for St. Patty's Day? I haven't, but I know Gavin has. I have. And he's like it's insane. In college. Really? It was a wild time. Yeah. Oh. Is it like Mardi Gras? It's the same thing. Yes. Okay. But just green. <laughs> only green beads yeah <laughs> but but exactly the same like everyone's drinking on the streets and it's just it's a wild wild time i'm over that stuff man yeah me i was too. just gonna say i think robbie's gonna book a trip no i and my neighbor used to have a saint pat saint patty's day party that was just ridiculous Insane. 
and after we had our firstborn, he still had the party, which was two days after he was born, and it was crazy. And you're like, hey, guys. This yeah. is it. You tapped out after that. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just poor. He had, he had like porta potties, like eight kegs for that. You know how little, yeah. little space it is over there. Yeah. One porta potty would take up 25% of the real estate. It was like, yeah, there's like hundreds of people that would come through mm. rattling the windows. Anyways. Um, I was going to talk about something about reviewing, but I think I'll save it for yeah. another time because we got, we got uh, too much to cover. Okay, yeah. To cover. So why don't we jump into our mini podcast shoe review uh, yeah, section? Let's, let's do it fast since these yeah. reviews are already up anyways yeah. or partly. You want to do the glycerin first? Let's talk about it. Yeah. Brooks Glycerin 20. Uh, so we were excited about this because it had the DNA Loft V3 midsole. Which, which is in the Aurora BL. Yep. Which was our favorite book shoe in... Ever. Pretty much ever. Um, Definitely, yeah. So I was pretty pumped to get this. It doesn't feel the same as it does in the Aurora BL. I agree. I feel. I think it feels a little blocky. Meg didn't. I still feel Megden. like it feels better than it, most Brooks shoes I put on my feet. I think that's true. I I went out in this and it, we, I just, it wasn't for me. We, I, this is one of those shoes that blows my mind. This is like a number one seller. Like this, if yeah. you go into a running shoes specialty store... Chances are 99% you're going to walk out with a glycerin twin. Well, there's like nothing too scary about it, you know? Like it's got a pretty, it's a, got a padded collar and tongue, a simple upper, and a slab of foam with a lot of rubber. Mm-hmm. I think that rubber is what killed this for me. I do. I, we talked about this a little bit in the review, yeah. but I feel like because of all of that rubber, it might have taken away from that bounce that we got yeah, in the Aurora BL. Definitely. But even if you feel the size, the gerometer of the foam, Feels, feels a, a lot little firmer, firmer than the BL. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I don't think this shoe's going to die. So if you were going to go buy a running shoe. Oh, for sure. It's going to last hundreds of miles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not horrible. I, it's I just, feel like they're Honda Accords of. Yeah. That's exactly I, it. I think we, I think we just had an expectation to be more ex- exciting for how much. I also unfortunately got a blister and couldn't wear it. I, I also so. thought it was a little... But you got a blister only when you wore this because yeah. we're reviewing other shoes. You put this on, you got a blister, you I, took some I time I even off. waited uh, like almost a week. I put on a thicker sock and I tried it again and I got a blister oh, in the yes. exact same spot. Okay. Yeah. So my feeling was, yeah, it's blocky. It's... I, I didn't feel it was very responsive. It is... I mean, it's not even flexible. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that ties into the blockiness. Like... If you're watching this video on YouTube, I'm trying to like push it together, and I've been lifting weights. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like it, five pounders. Well, fifteen, but yeah, um, yeah I, I, I keep actually, upping it. Have you actually been doing that? Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, I actually even upped my weights last night. Really? So, I'm, are I'm you at twenty? I might be for some of the exercise. Oh, wow. Look so. at you getting ready for singlet season. Yeah, I am trying to get <laughs> that photo ops. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's could... it's it's got pretty rigid. I mean, it's pretty rigid for... I didn't hate the ride like you guys did, but like I said, I didn't hate it. I just, I think I was expecting more. Uh, like Kush. Mm-hmm. I think we get spoiled because... I know. We, we definitely We do. have these shoes that we get to try that really feel good when you But ride. also, they did put our expectations up here with the Aurora BL. And they kind yeah, of if it was like the dropped. normal glister, and I'd be like, yes. Right, sure. I feel like we would have had a different review. We'd <laughs> yeah. be like, this is the best foam they've ever made. I also think this shoe would really benefit from more of a rocker shape. Yeah, I would agree. Because the BL with the decoupled heel gave you kind of almost like a false rocker because 
it right. could split up and roll through your stride. Where this one, I felt like maybe as part of the reason I think it's blocky, it just didn't, it doesn't transition very, yeah. Yeah. very well. Speaking of rockers. Yeah. Uh, Saucony Axon 2. I, right now, this is my budget shoe of the year so yeah. far. It kind of was like last year too, yeah. right? It was good last year, but it felt like an afterthought. I didn't even think they would have an Axon 2. Um, do you see how it's, see how the axon is almost wearing off? Oh, <laughs> yeah. but um, Aon. Yeah. Um, is I, that or is that just supposed to be like that? It's like four dots to make the X. I think it's supposed to be like that. Okay. Um, it last year I thought it was like kind of an afterthought, like hey, a test shoe, because it has the same geometry as the shift, which is like I think what's the shift, Robbie? One hundred eighty bucks. No, it's actually it's only one hundred forty. One hundred forty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it has the same shape and feel underfoot, but this is lighter. It's I feel like it's more responsive, and it rolls through the stride so nicely. Yeah, I I didn't think I was gonna like this shoe because it is just a giant slab of and their power firm. run. Yeah, and it's it's firm. It's not very responsive, but for whatever reason, with the is speed roll is that what they call yeah. the rocker? Their speed roll geometry it just works yeah like i was surprised uh both my runs were i felt like i was giving somewhat of a eight minute mile effort like eight and a half minute mile effort and i was running in the sevens and i did um you know a shorter run and i did a double digit run and both of them i just felt like i could cruise it like this one is definitely if i was on a budget and i wanted a race shoe and a training shoe wait really yeah i would definitely like if i was Really? Yeah. If I was uh, someone who's really financially conscious about my running shoes, I feel like you can t- you could you could definitely use mm-hmm. this as a. Uh, the only thing is, I wouldn't like that for my recovery day. Like, I want something a little softer. It's a little firm. Yeah, for, but like, that's a when true you, recovery day. That's when you start not being conscious about. Oh, sure. Your, your shoe. Yeah. Like, if you if I said you have mm-hmm. one shoe that you could run in, and needs to do it, mm-hmm. this can do a lot. Of all bucks. the shoes, though, for a hundred dollars. Okay. For yeah, okay. same budget, but yeah, I, and you know what? Even some more expensive shoes, I would say this shoe would be more useful, more like Swiss Army knife. But that's about. I mean, cool. That's it for for this. Yeah. Uh, okay. You got some news this week, Robbie? Like people are doing stuff. They're out in the woods with Laz. Oh, the Barkley Marathon going on. Winning yeah. uh, Green Monster races down in Jacksonville. Yeah. The Barkley Marathons always just happens, and I'm, I'm like, it's like in the middle of it, and we That's, find I, out. But they don't, they don't like make. I feel like they just start it, like they don't right. really make a big deal of it. They don't even really tell you who's on the. The starting guy line. smokes a cigarette to do the start. Yeah, yeah. so it's not. That. It's not. It's like secretive, but not. I don't, it's very. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's actually pretty interesting how secretive, secretive it is, since it's not secretive anymore. Since it's yeah. famous. Yeah. I mean, there's documentaries. You can watch 20 different documentaries on it. Yeah, there's always, like, now huge crews at the start and finish. I saw someone um, posted, I forget where, but they were like, don't out someone on the starting line if they haven't announced it. Yeah. Like, people are running, but they don't want you to know they're running because... Until, like, the first results come in or something. Yeah, yeah. which I don't understand that I part. I don't but either. Um, so explain that to me again. I don't understand. Like... They unless someone wanted to announce that they're running it, they don't want they didn't want people like saying, "Oh, these Check people out were Robbie's out the race." Yeah. yeah, 
So by the way, how did if you anyone do? doesn't know what the Barkley Marathons is, <laughs> yeah, give them like a two second. Yeah, it's a it's in uh, Tennessee. It's run by this guy named Laslie who puts on like crazy ultra marathons, and this is one of the craziest ones on earth where. You have to traverse this. It's called Frozen Head State Park in Tennessee, and you do five loops of this course. But it's orienteering. It's not always yeah, the same it's, course. It's not. There's like no trail for most of it. Yeah. So you're just in the woods, and you have to collect pages from books to show like you ma- made each checkpoint, and then like put them in a plastic bag and bring them back in and, order. Yeah, and so it's uh yes, yeah, so you have to get the pages in order, and it's each loop is around a marathonish length and you have to do five loops and it, you like switch the order that you do the loops every time. And if you don't make it to the gate, yeah, a certain amount. Of yeah. Time. So the start and finish is at this, like it's like a gate to a park and you basically have to like touch the gate for, there's a time limit on each loop. And then for the whole race, and didn't one guy mess up because he came in through the gate the wrong way. Yeah, so if you kind of, it's like, so there's a YouTube documentary that ginger runner did called where dreams go to die on Gary Robbins and this is like his life goal to do this finish this race he made several attempts and then he came in at like spoiler alert uh he got I mean a lot of people hallucinate and lose their bearings um because it's a like just you're in the middle of the woods and and you're awake for like 50 60 hours (laughs) and I think the elevation's like doing Everest like several times um and anyways so he ended up missing the cutoff by like a minute but he also came in from the wrong direction. So I think he was probably more like 10 minutes behind, but it was like heartbreaking a lot. Yeah. Anyways. So, but the world's greatest ultra runners like to come to do this race and it's very secretive. Like nobody knows like your cost you of entry in. is your license plate. Yeah. You just have to bring a license plate. I think you have to bring him a pack of cigs or like something like that. <laughs> okay. Um, or a white shirt or socks. He a changes, shirt, he changes yeah. it every year. I think what you have to bring. I know it was a shirt at one point. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then it's, it's a lot of, orienteering slash so that's why some of the greatest ultra runners like Courtney and Walter already dropped this year um because it's just like a shit show well Laz has said and he I think this is more of a challenge than a uh a belief but he said no women can finish this race yeah it, which is definitely just like he says shit to just to just like poke yeah, yeah. like get but get him out there clearly he wants someone to do it yeah um because only like 15 people have ever finished it I think and the the weather there is bananas though. Something about its topography is that you can be at the start and it'll be sixty five and sunny, and then that night it's freezing rain and fog and torrential downpours and thirty degree. You know, it's like I think the one race dropped like fifty degrees in like six hours. Mm. So it's like Baltimore now. <laughs> yeah, um, at this time of year. Anyways, so. Yeah, as of now, I think there's a lot of people dropped. I think John Kelly, who won it a couple years ago, um, is is still in it and winning. Yeah, I think there's only a few people in it. Yeah, now. I think Carl Saab, who uh, who won, he won one of those like backyard races. I think he has like the world record for it. Um, I think he's from Belgium. I think he's uh, in second. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. Is it? it I don't think anybody outside the U.S. has ever won it, have they? I don't think so. Now that you mentioned that. Um, but anyways, it's just a crazy race. So there's this guy named Keith Dunn on Twitter. Yeah, I still have no idea up. who this guy is or how he got like the official like. He I don't even think he uses Twitter like the rest of the year, and he just is like tweets from the Barclays, and uh, he he's like the only way you can get updates on the race. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like I don't. It's like so weird. Um, 
But anyways, so follow him if you're trying to get some updates. Updates. And watch the documentary if you haven't. Either the one on YouTube, uh, Where Dreams Go to Die, or the Netflix one. So we can move on to uh, the Gate River Run real quick. In case anyone missed it, Emily Sisson took the win again. Again. For the women. And um, beat all the men. Trip M's on the top. Yeah, three Emily's so for explain, the podium. Yeah, explain that, um, how it works, though, for that they... The equalizer? Yeah, the equalizer. So they have an equalizer where the women go out six minutes ahead of the men. And if the if a woman is the first one to cross the finish line, then she wins the race overall. And is there, like, money tied to that? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. I think there's, like, a 10K <laughs> prize bonus or something um, for, for beating the men. So, so did yeah. she do it again? So it's the second time she did it. Yeah, she was the first person across the line. She beat all the other women by two minutes. Whoa. I'm and one of our guests recently was Annie Frisbee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like Annie. What was Annie Frisbee's? Was it a tweet or Instagram post? Yeah. Can you you paraphrase it? um, She went out too fast, which is like exactly what her coach said not to do. And she's (laughs) like, I'm not going to do that. And she said something along the lines of, um, well, 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 if it isn't uh, the mistake. Wait, what was it? Shit. It was so good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, while Megan's looking that up, the um, the race has a pretty substantial, that bridge at the end is is like a heartbreak hill is kind it? of situation. Oh, okay. So Do you run other bridges or is that like the bridge? That's the bridge. Okay. So you're running and then you hit that in the last bit. You got it, Meg? Yeah, she said, well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of people went out fast and then... Blew up a little bit. I mean, she still did well. Oh, yeah. I'll, it was still a, a really fun race. What I was shocked about was our guy, Galen Rupp. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that he finished sixth or something. Seventh. Seventh. Oh, and then so uh, Nico Montanez, who was an ASICS athlete, <laughs> who is, do you think he's wearing the SBS guy? I do. I think that all the of second them were ver- The second version? Yeah, of course. I, I think that uh, I all their that. athletes are running. I know Emma's Bates has been running in it. Um, they're kind of camouflaging it to look oh, similar to okay. what is already out there. Yeah, he finished in 43.09, and uh, four seconds behind him, wow, that's close, was Leonard Career, who's won twice before and who uh, was represent the U.S. in the Olympics in the marathon. Yep. So we had two Olympic marathoners running that race, Galen and yeah. Leonard. That's a crazy race. It's a good May, one. Uh, and you know who else was running it? Aldrin. Yeah. Our boy Aldrin Biala. He finished top 100. Did he? Yeah, he finished 99. I didn't see <laughs> I didn't see his time. Which he I don't think he was really happy with his time, but I'm like At that field that's that, pretty Yeah, good. that's insane, dude. Yeah, he's our stability reviewer if nobody knows. So if you have stability He's also just funny as yeah, yeah and yeah. just nice to be around. Cool dude. All right. Well, any th- oh, and then obviously Tokyo. Let's Yeah. I mean, we have to talk about Iliad yeah. because now he has won Four out of the six majors. Yeah, look out New York and Boston. Here we come. I'm yeah. hoping he goes to New York this year. I am too. I hope we go to New York this year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking he's probably out for Boston since it's, you know, in a few weeks. Although, you know who is doing the double? Yeah. Sarah Hall. Oh, really? She just, so she was in Tokyo. She did a 222 there, which I know was not her goal. But it sounds like she put it all out there and went out on goal pace. Really? And it just didn't come together at the end. But she's... Going to be towing the line to Boston. Now, we saw Molly posting about the coverage of women's marathon yeah. in Tokyo. 
What did you think of the coverage? Did you watch? So you and I watched on an interesting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, did you watch any other coverage than what I we didn't, saw? I didn't see any other coverage, but even even though we couldn't understand what they were saying, the yeah, coverage. Yeah, what we did is we snuck onto a Japanese internet feed. The coverage was oh, okay. primarily the Japanese men and the overall men. And then every once in a while you'd see a woman. Do you know what else? Did they hold the tape for everybody who crossed? That's what I don't understand. Did you watch any of the coverage? No, I missed it. So the Robbie, first th five guys that came in all broke the tape. <laughs> and I was talking to someone. And I was like, what if you were like in that marathon mind where you're like delirious and like you, you come up and you see the out. tape and you're like, I just won. I would think so. I would assume I'd win but something. I'm not sure if the tape didn't keep coming out. I'm like, does that, I think everyone breaks the, the tape coverage. There. Yeah, the coverage. Well, not, or maybe they're just like, well, these guys are all going to be placing either age group or, you know, somehow. Yeah. But I stopped watching before anyone stopped breaking tape. Yeah. Tape kept coming out. I'm, like the same piece of tape? Right? Yeah. Oh, there's like magnets or whatever? No, they got a Velcro strip. You know, yeah. It's like, bob it, line it back up. But, and it was, it was. Uh, trying to figure this out. Yeah. Or they just let go of one side. If anyone knows, know. knows about this tape situation, let us know. Yeah. But a lot of people breaking the tape. Yeah. Did you ever, I saw some video, maybe, I don't think it was from this, but it was like. They were, were they trying to get it out of the way? Yeah, yeah sort of like that. holding it over people's heads <laughs> one after another. The guys coming through and then I never, the woman. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. Trying, I'm going it, through that tape. It looked like Frogger. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was like they had the tape out for the woman coming in. That but was guys kept that was the in. tape people's fault. Yeah, the yeah. finish line right, people. Right. Like they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think they should you, just start you, doing it with uh, instead of breaking the tape, they should paintball the person who comes in first. Okay, that's a deterrent, I think, from finishing first. Well, they should they should have had a women's shoot and a men's shoot right. at least for the they do winners. that in several races. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, that's All enough right. banter for today. You All think right. so? We really we really went along along here. I don't know. Anyway, Iliad, you're the goat. Yeah, you're the greatest of all time. I don't. It's non disputed. I don't think anybody can uh, say otherwise. Like you're one of those athletes that comes around. Yeah. Once every generation, and this is incredible that we get to witness this because it sure is fun. Yeah, if you're listening. Obviously, you're listening. Of course he's listening. Listen to this every week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he's up in my DMs all the time. Yeah. Uh, so this week, we're talking to Stephen Sashin of Zero Running Shoes. Man, would, we went deep into the Zero. Uh, we did. I almost the feel minimalist like running. Robbie almost drank the Kool-Aid. I felt like it, by the end of it, Robbie was ready to shed his shoes and hit the I'm soccer field. I'm waiting for field. The, our pair to arrive, dude, and then I'm out. Yeah. out of this running biz. <laughs> Guys, you've seen Robbie's last shoe review. He's only going to do barefoot and He minimal, says as he put shoes. on a minimal shoe for his last loop at <laughs> yeah. said how horrible it was. Yeah. What's amazing is that as I was coming in the office this morning, there a guy passed me running in. I think they were zero shoes. They were definitely minimal, like nothing to him. But you weren't running. He just passed you cuz you were like No, the walking. guy was running past me okay. in those in zero What I'm shoes. trying to say was he Beating you on the run, or was he just running he looked, past? I'm you? not gonna lie, he looks pretty fit. I know the barefoot guys always look really strong because they're yeah. not—they're like gym dudes. No, he was like a skinny. Because like, oh. I went, I was, I was like, oh, this guy run past him, <laughs> check had the air. He had shocks. Uh, ah, nice. I was like looking at his shoes. I was like, what? That's Girl. crazy. I also saw somebody running. It's pouring rain, pouring rain here today, this morning, and I was driving the kids to school, and this guy was wearing the knit pom pom cat. Uh, from Ace from Grit? 
or for, or just general. I, I think just in general. But it was like rain. I was like, that's a bad hat choice. There was no right today. way to dress today. I understand that guy. It was cold and raining. And if you started earlier, it wasn't raining. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. Anyway. No, you did it for the Jacksonville race. You wear the cap with the That's why I did this buff. morning. Yeah, yeah, that's a good combo right there. Yeah. I never even saw that before. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I forgot to tell you that was cool. Because it was windy. <laughs> I learned it from the Boston Marathon. Uh, All the ladies did it. Okay. All the single ladies. Yeah. Nope. And nope. married ladies. Yeah. All Most of them. them. Well, there's no song for all the married Okay, days. we just ruined the intro. All right, so anyway, right. Steven Sashin is coming up. Uh, man of the zero minimal running scene. and I love his passion. Yeah, no, it was a good, it was a good conversation. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap it up after this. All right, first check-in today. Um, we're getting towards spring. It's getting weird. You don't know how to dress. Hopefully, you're dressed right this morning for your run if you're out there running. And uh, I think the key right now is layers. So, you know, thinner gloves if it's cold out, light hat, that kind of stuff. Make sure you can shed, wear a light jacket with pockets. I don't know. You'll figure it out. But this is weird weather, isn't it? Steven, welcome to the show. Good to see you. I've seen you. I've actually seen you on some YouTube uh, commercials that I get from time to time. So I believe it's like the exact same background that you have right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, more often than not, this is a corner of the conference room and I use this background a lot. A lot of people think it's fake. And one thing I want to do, like when people use a fuzzy background, I want to make a fuzzy shoe so one day I can fake them out and like reach back and pull an actual <laughs> like fuzzy that. shoe out of the fuzzy background. Be like the a green screen shoe. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. And be, be behind you, for those who are listening, is your wall of shoes and uh, your... Com- no, it's a wall of zero shoes. Zero shoes. Oh. Yeah. There's no it's shoes. It's not there. just random <laughs> shoes. That'd be silly if I just had random shoes behind me. Exactly. It's it's zero shoes in that your company is zero, not that there's no shoes back there. Or if they're listening, well, they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good point. It's And so we're X-E-R-O, and the implication is that it's basically feeling... You know, it's funny. When I started the company, I called it Invisible Shoes because I started it like on a whim, and I needed a name, and that's what I thought of. And there was a, a marketing guy that I met. He was like the head of marketing for a billion-dollar brand, and we... We're introduced to each other, and the first thing he said to me when we got together, he goes, hey, I can see them. I said, yeah, but it feels like nothing. He goes, I can see them. You can't use that word. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be even more confusing if we were like, there's a the wall of invisible shoes behind you. Yeah. Uh, how'd you pull off that <laughs> we technology? Sell, we sell those along with the emperor's new clothes. It's a whole, you know, you can get totally outfitted in one spot. I mean, I go straight to Wonder Woman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The invisible jet. Oh, yeah. There you go. All right, Stephen, welcome to the show. Let's talk about, uh, yeah, your product, your company, your life, and everything else. So Zero Shoes, uh, if, if anybody, well, actually, you can just explain it. What what are you all about? And well, Wait, uh, wait, why don't we even get beyond that? Because, okay. you know, all of us have read Born to Run, or a lot of us have. If, oh, and, yeah. And you yeah. get to a point where it starts, it, you know, it prophetized the idea of, 
ground contact and barefoot running and the natural running and stuff like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Did pause. Did you come you know in what? before that or after? Well, right around then, but I wanna pause. It's really funny. The book doesn't actually endorse barefoot running, but that's what people think that it does. It talks about the research, including research that Dan Lieberman from Harvard did, where he took runners from Africa who were either who were barefoot and then put shoes on them and showed how it changed their gait and increased impact forces. But it doesn't. But you know, people think of it as a barefoot book, but it's really a book about the Tarumara and about just natural movement. That part. Yeah. So we we came into being in that same era is the best way to put it. In fact, we used to joke early on. So I launched Zero Shoes, then again, Invisible Shoes in November 2009. And uh, we used to joke that for the next year, year and a half, Chris McDougall was our unofficial marketing department. Yeah. Because <laughs> anytime he's out doing a book signing, we'd see a big bump in sales. And I started doing a thing where I would go to bookstores and put our business cards in copies of the book Born to Run. Um, it was like, good guerrilla marketing. <laughs> I like yeah, it. Little, <laughs> you're going to want these. Well, you know, I mean, that it, was, it was the height of it, though. Whether well, or not he was um, selling the height, it. well, the height was actually like mid 2010, and and what happened? So what happened? It was very interesting. From 2009 through the middle of 2010, the big shoe companies were saying, "Hey, barefoot is going to kill you. If you run barefoot, you're going to step on hypodermic needles and get Ebola. Your kids won't get into college. Your car won't start. Your mortgage rate's going to go up." I mean, it was ridiculous. By the end of 2010, though, a bunch of these companies were making shoes they were calling minimalist or calling barefoot that were really nothing of the sort. And so 2010, 2011 is when things seemingly peaked, maybe even into 2012. And then it was um, not too long after that when the lawsuit against Vibram, which was also massively misrepresented, kind of slowed things down. And, um, And it didn't, people think that there was a peak and then it crashed. But there wasn't. There was just a rapid acceleration followed by slower acceleration. Yeah, interesting. I, I I guess where I see it is like a peak was that it was being jumped in by like you had the Saucony Hattori, you had yeah, yeah, the yeah. Uh, Merrill had all their Can, uh, you know their the Trail Love the vapor, yeah. yeah and, and there was there was the Kimbara even and New the, Balance yeah. got into it and the Minimus yeah. yep yeah but so, you know what but again. Irene Davis, when she was at Harvard, did research showing that most of those shoes that they called barefoot or minimalist were actually not close enough and were worse for you than anything else you could wear because they muted the feedback you would get from the ground with too much cushioning and then didn't give you Enough the other <laughs> things you would need if you were still you know, running like you were in a regular shoe. But really quick, one interesting point, this whole sort of you know, up and down thing or up and seemingly down thing didn't happen in Europe, only happened in America. In Europe, the argument against minimalists or against natural movement had no weight because there have been a number of shoe companies that are 200 plus years old Mm -hmm. that were doing things more closely related to what we're doing. So the shoe companies who were frankly just terrified no one was ever going to buy a running shoe again once once people realized they could run barefoot, um, they just had no – there was no grip on that story in Europe because people just didn't buy the anti-barefoot, anti-natural story. They've been living it for hundreds of years. Well, yeah, especially in Europe, which has a more traditionally like firmer, firmer platform in their shoes in general. I mean, like if you look at just like Solomon trail shoes. Well, not so, not so much firmer platform. I mean, like if you think about Birkenstock, 250 year old company or Barefootwear, 100 and some odd year old company that made wider foot shape, you know, low zero drop shoes. There was just a bigger history and, and frankly, more people who get out and just walk and hike on a daily basis than here in America. Yeah, I, I think it's weird though. I think we're some of the panic from the shoe company. We're probably jumping way ahead here, yeah, but whatever. The, the we'll, bare, we'll come back to everything. 
it, jump away. There, there was the part where like you're even offering a product. I think the shoe companies were afraid that people would say, I don't need a product at all. I'm going to go oh, run on grass. I'm going to go run on this completely totally. barefoot. No, no sock, no nothing. Yeah, they, they were completely terrified of that. And um, in fact, it's funny. Brooks has a, a thing they call their run signature program where they, I, in theory, tell you which shoe is right for you. The research shows that it doesn't actually work. But regardless, one part of the, the run signature test is they have you run on a treadmill in socks. They very explicitly don't let you do it in bare feet because they don't want you to get the idea that you can run in bare feet. They want to have the idea that you're just using, taking off your shoes just to get data, but you still need socks because, yeah, so it was, it, it, um, well, I'll, I'll cut way ahead. We have a friend um, who was looking to invest in our company and he started calling his old friends who were CEOs or VPs at multi-billion dollar footwear brands and said, so what do you think about this whole barefoot natural movement thing? And the response from three of the people he talked to was almost identical. It's totally legit, they said, but we can't do it because it would be admitting everything we said for 50 years is a lie. Is that basically like how Silicon Valley exec, execs don't let their kids use iPads and phones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, could be. could be. By the way, Robbie does have a tinfoil hat, so it'll pop up every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for all of it. That is true, though. Did you know that? That's crazy. Anyways, um, yeah, so, you know, going back to that, when you started your company, what did you, like, were, what were the other competitors, or was anyone else doing it in the same space as you at the time? No. No, the, the only other competitor at the time uh, really, now, well, actually, I take that back. So Five Fingers came out in 2006. And I kept trying those on like every six months in the same way, you know, you're hungry at night, you open the fridge, you don't find what you want, you close the fridge, and then you come back five minutes later as if it's a psychic replicator. Yeah. So I kept trying on five fingers and they never fit my feet. Mm -hmm. um, I have Morton's toes, so my second toe is longer than my first. Um, and th just the shape didn't work for me. Had they fit, I probably would have never started the company. So there was that. Oh. And then um, there was a guy who's featured in Born to Run, Barefoot Ted, Ted McDonald, mm -hmm. who similarly was selling a do-it-yourself Warache sandal making kit. So, I mean, Ted was kind of proudly saying, you know, hey, I'm just a one monkey shop and it might take me four weeks to get you your order. And I said, well, that that's not acceptable. So, um, in fact, I emailed Ted right when we were getting started. I said, I want you to know what we're up to. And he said, uh, emailed back saying, I don't know if I should be happy or cry. I said, you should be ecstatic because I'm going to, the fact that there's going to be two of us now is going to build awareness better than you imagined, and you'll end up helping more people and selling more shoes or shoe kits than you ever thought possible. Yeah, yeah. A rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it did. Well, it, and it did. yeah. It's like, if you look at right now, the cryptocurrency, like the more there are, the, <laughs> yeah. the bigger Bitcoin gets. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, it's funny that you mentioned his sandals because I actually was running a 50K with uh, Christopher McDougal. And, uh, he had the sandals on the the tie ones yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah. One of, and we were about the furthest place out on the 50k loop where his uh shoe broke down because his lace his, his lace broke or whatever so well you know well here's a funny thing about that um we had a guy who emailed saying hey my lace broke and i had to throw in my shoes while i was out on a on a oh, safari wow. and i said well you know you could have a just tied a knot in the lace because yeah. that's how they're made 
or you could have gotten any other piece of string or cord or shoelace to relace the whole thing. Yeah. And I sent that back. I sent that message back to his Harvard.edu address. Oh, wow. So it's so funny. If, if you look at the, the earliest like sandal apples. ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We actually we actually got to use that for real. Before before that movie came out, okay. we used that line to fire somebody in a previous company of mine. Oh, wow. He did something really practically illegal, and we got to say to him, uh, do you like apples? And he was confused and said, yeah. Said, well, you're fired. How do you like them apples? <laughs> so, um, you pulled that line out. That's good. Oh, it's man. A good, it's a good one. But yeah. but again, you know, like the earliest archaeological dig that pulled out a shoe, pulled out a sandal that's about 10,000 years old. And it looked a lot like some of our original sandals. Mm -hmm. And it was made with um, sagebrush, bark, and uh, things that you turn into twine. I mean, these are not rocket science, or as they said 10,000 years ago, it's not rock science. So mm -hmm. the thing that's fun when we were selling a do-it-yourself kit is people really discovered that oh my God, I can make footwear. This is not complicated. The basic idea of something to protect your foot and something to hold that on your foot is just not a big deal. And that was a revelation for people. So wait, um, you were and, doing the kits as well? Yeah, so our first product was a DIY kit and that's all we had, variations on, on that for three and a half years. We didn't have so our first- So potentially it could have been your shoe that was on Christopher oh. McDougall's foot. <laughs> um, could have been, don't know. Yeah. And yeah, you right. still do DIY kits, right? Like it's still a, they still we still sell a lot of those because they're super super fun. I, I say you're developing the superpower of knowing how to make your own footwear, and um, they're, they, we don't obviously make a lot of money on them because they're really inexpensive. But people who get into it really get into it. It's it's very entertaining to watch all the different lacing styles they come up with. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. So uh, you know you start your company in what is it 2009? You said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you were kind of on your way and you had a seminal moment when you went on Shark Tank in 2013. And yeah. so tell us about that because I actually watched that episode and... Yeah, I want to know like how you get on it, like how, the whole process. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that too. Sure. Okay. Well, so we started the company and then people kept telling us, my gosh, you should be on Shark Tank. And we're like, what the hell is Shark Tank? Mm -hmm. And so we started watching the show. And like everyone who watches the show, you think, hey, I should be on there if you're an entrepreneur. Right. And whether you're an entrepreneur or not, you think, hey, I should be one of those sharks because I'm smarter than they are. And <laughs> so we knew, it was a, we knew it was a good opportunity. Um, then we watched all the we, – we watched – uh, rerun or what's the word I'm looking for? We watched all the episodes on YouTube. We watched all the ones from Canadian Dragon's Den, from the UK Dragon's Den. We didn't watch the original from Japan, also Dragon's Den, because eh, don't speak Japanese. But so I sent in an application um, in, I don't remember when, not realizing that there was actually a time in which they accepted applications, okay. which is usually March or April. So coming up soon. Sent in an email, um, sent another email like a week later with a video that I made. And I was just about to jump on a plane to go to one of the live auditions. And we got a phone call saying, hey, we read your uh, application. We'd love to chat. And they interviewed us for my wife and I for, I don't know, hour, hour and a half. And this is on a Thursday in May of 2012. And they said, um, we'd love to get a video from you. You have to answer like these 500 questions in five minutes. And uh, it was really onerous. And I said, oh, no problem. We'll knock that out over the weekend not knowing that my wife was planning a surprise 50th birthday party for me that weekend. <laughs> so she was freaking out inside. And, um, but party went off without a hitch. I was totally surprised. We sent in the video along with a really onerous application uh, that had to be, for some reason, handwritten. 
And we, you can't, you can't read our handwriting. Nice. So we had to hire someone from Craigslist to <laughs> oh, handwrite our pictures. <laughs> yeah. So they got the application. They got the video. The next step, they send you a contract. Well, sorry. The next step, they send you a contract, also very one-sided and cobbled together from all their previous shows. So there's clauses in there that aren't oh, hopefully wow. appropriate. Or, yeah, like that we won't sue them if we die on set. So right. <laughs> what's the, what, what the hell's going to happen? They go, and that's from when we did Survivor. Um, oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So we fill out the contract, which uh, nobody likes, but they're not going to change a word of it for you. And then they eventually called us and said, yeah, we want you on the show. Then they hook you up with two producers who help you work out uh, that first, like, 60 seconds when you're doing your pitch. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they call you at some random time and say, we want you here in three days. It's like, yikes. Uh, and we fly out there. And then you cross your fingers because they tape more segments than they air. Ah, so okay. you never know if you're going to air or when. And they give you, like, a two-weeks heads up, you know, when they say you're going to be on. Yeah, and get, your, then, get your internet you know, ready to crash. <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah, we crashed within seconds of our airing. Well, that, that was my thing. I was talking to Robbie about this earlier. I was like, it doesn't matter if you get an offer or not. You're getting a half an hour commercial right. for your product. Well, 10 minutes, but yeah. Right. So, yeah. I mean, with yeah. commercials, um, no, no, it was an hour. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, it kind of... It, it, Yes, you're absolutely right, and it still kind of matters because getting the sharks to say, oh, my God, I love this, gives you more credibility than if they go, right. eh, not so sure, for whatever reason. Well, but we still did, I don't know, like three months' worth of sales in the week wow. following wow. Uh, the show. Now, three months' worth of sales then, that's now what we do in a couple of days. That's, that's crazy. awesome. Yeah, so that, what was interesting about that is that on, on the show, uh, I think, was it Kevin that was the only one who gave you an offer uh, yeah, but and everyone else kind of like trashed, like thought you were nuts for turning it down. Well, yes and no. Um, yes, that's the way it looks. So they, I forgot to add that they edit the thing down. So we're in the tank for like that's I what I know, heard forty minutes or so. Okay, right. Some some people are in there for hours, right? And it gets cut down to like you oh, know geez. ten minutes or so. So um, every objection that you see on the show, we hit out of the park so far. That at one point, Robert jumps out of his chair and yells at us, you have a perfect answer for every question. <laughs> and we just looked at him kind of incredulously and went, yeah, it's our business. <laughs> well, we have seen people on the show, maybe they do it for our entertainment value. They get on there and they don't seem to understand oh. that you need to make a profit. <laughs> well, um, the, the line is this. If you look at the show, there's usually one segment of the show, one out of the four segments on the show, where it's someone who really should not be there yet. Right. And uh, so there's one, you know, where you go, oh, they're going to get eaten alive. So when you're in the van going over to tape, there's like three other companies with you, and you look around, and if you can't figure out who's the you're one that's going to get eaten alive, <laughs> you're, you're the, the one. one. Yeah. 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 Uh. So on on that episode, uh, they offered you four hundred thousand dollars for a fifty percent stake in the company, and I believe that year, yeah. at that time, your annual revenue gross revenue was a million dollars around that. Uh, no, I think it was about six fifty. Oh wow, okay. Um, we done about we'd done about six hundred thousand in the like the whole time we'd started the company. I think the year before was like five hundred and change. Yeah. Okay. And either way, I thought it was pretty badass when you counter offered and they were incredulous at your 
a counter offer of 10% for 400k and then yeah also incredulous that you would even turn it down i think the word incredulous is going to be the word of the show he said it he said it he okay. got it i said it you said it yeah yeah they um uh well here's I'll, I'll, here's another shark tank secret so as th- talk about things they edit my wife and I have a debate about whether my memory of what she said is accurate or her memory. So we forgot Kevin even made an offer because there was just no way we were going to take an That's offer so that funny. was valuing the company yeah, at 800 grand, which was you know what we were going to make more than that that year. And um, so we forgot that he made an offer. Kevin remind, uh, sorry, Robert reminded us, and Lena turns to Kevin and says, so are you bringing anything to this offer other than money? Because we wanted someone who had industry experience and things. And he says, well, you know, I'm a smart businessman. I've got a big Rolodex. And I remember Lena saying, so nothing? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I do think that there is some value sometime if they're going to put in their their weight behind your marketing and help you you do that. I could see that, especially if you get like a Mark Cuban or something that has online experience and growing companies with online sales. That can be a value beyond financial. Here's here's a, here's a weird Cuban story. So at one to make it, I'll, I'll try and do the short version. At one point, Cuban realized he was a customer of a previous company of mine, and the whole balance of power shifted. You could see him just kind huh. of deflate, um, and uh, suddenly he was not the guy in charge, and uh, in in the same way, and uh, he was not happy with that. So what what company was that? I had a, I started a company, it's called Synovate, well, the company, the product's called Scriptware. I invented the industry standard word processing software for film and television writers. Whoa. Ah, cool. That's so random. So <laughs> we might have to come back to that. that. We might have to come back to that because yeah. it seems like a weird path. But f- finishing up with uh, sh- uh, Shark Tank. So you, you, you turn the offer down and yep. do you have investors now? Oh yeah, that's, that's a good question. So in uh, 2017, we did an equity, uh, what's called a Reg A plus equity crowdfunding raise. So we allowed normal human beings, not just accredited investors, aka rich people, to invest in the company. We were one of the first companies doing that. And Mm. uh, we actually were the first company to figure out how to raise money from individuals directly without a broker dealer from all 50 states. We then taught the whole industry how to do it. Um, So we raised a little over a million dollars then from about 1,100 people. And then in 2020, I've got to figure out the numbers. The end of 2020, we uh, took on uh, um, a private equity partner in a minority position. All right, second check-in. Now that we got our wardrobe straight, I hope that you are having a good time listening to the podcast. Maybe you're letting your mind go, but I mentioned earlier about, and hopefully this earlier, but Courtney DeWalter talking about when you get to the pain cave, it's time to start digging and making it bigger. And I really like that uh, idea that once you get there, instead of trying to shy away from it or minimize it, to actually think about how you can mentally make it deeper and bigger so that you can spend more time in that place where it's uncomfortable. So when you, the first part where we were talking about kind of like crowdsourcing some, some uh, capital there, I've, I've seen yeah. other companies. I think um, there's a gene company out of LA that was sort of doing the same thing where, <laughs> yeah. do you well, know who I'm talking sort about? Of in the, the, 
Yeah, distilled. They did yeah, the same it. thing. The difference is we were the only company at that time that was actually making a profit. Okay. Um, it, it, so there was a number of companies that were doing crowdfunding. It, it, they, a number of them did it wrong. They didn't have a crowd to reach out to who mm-hmm. wanted to fund the company mm-hmm. and wanted to be part of it. Yeah. And a lot of these companies were pre-revenue or still you know, uh, just you losing the, money every year. Yeah, you need the evangelist. Yeah. But it was a weird time period because you had the kind of like the GoFundMe crowds. You had the Kickstarter. Yeah. Kickstarter. You had, I, I don't yeah. know, you, you gave a, a better technical term for what this was. Uh, can you give well, me it's that called again? it's called crowdfunding, and there there's sort of two levels. There's one if you were looking. There were two levels. One if you were looking to raise under a million. The other if you were looking to raise over a million. And um, the rules were very different. So for ours, we now have to file our uh, financials twice a year with the SEC. So we're an SEC reporting company. Had we raised less, we wouldn't have needed to do that. Ah. And it's we were really hoping. We like the idea of reinventing capitalism. We don't like the idea that that people who believe in a company who helped grow the company can't benefit from the fact that they helped do that by buying product. So we want, our plan was to, in fact, our plan was to just keep the crowdfunding raise open in perpetuity. So as new customers came in, if they wanted to invest, they could, but human psychology being what it was or what it is, people weren't taking action as quickly as we thought. And so we said, all right, we're going to end this in August. And the moment we said that, you know, like another $250,000 showed up. And you have to give people a deadline or yeah. they just don't take action. I mean, totally unrelated, but I, I really feel like this is where like NFT and, and stuff like that is going uh, it, in yeah. a way to kind of you, you well, buy even, the product even, in there. Even more, we had the idea that we would just keep doing successive crowdfunding raises and let more and more people get involved and eventually do a crowdfunded IPO and go public through the crowd. The right. problem is, you know, between the trade war and then COVID, Um, And the fact that we were growing so quickly, we just didn't have that opportunity. So are you guys suffering from the same thing the industry is suffering from right now is that manufacturing is delayed and it's harder to get product on time? Uh, No and yes. In terms of the getting stuff made, we can get that done. We, In fact, during COVID, because we're a digital company, we were keeping a lot of our factories alive because we we weren't selling wholesale or selling a lot wholesale. And so when the retail environment crashed during 2020, and a lot of these companies did, they canceled all their orders and we were placing bigger orders. Mm. So they were thrilled. The getting stuff here is the challenge. Yeah. That's been a nightmare. And um, I mean, paying through the nose to just get stuff here or flying things in, yeah. Oh, yeah. knowing we won't make any money, but we need to have product to sell. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a crazy it's time. It's such a yeah, the the idea that people that companies are having to take airplanes and fill them up and get oh, them Oh, dude, we 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 looked at buying an airplane. Holy <laughs> yeah. crap. Zero yeah. airlines. Yeah, I mean not and we wouldn't have the cash for it, but you know, we looked at like what can we I mean, it, we were just like everybody panicked and just trying to figure out what to do and everything was on the table. Like do we buy an airplane? Do we buy a boat? Do we I mean, yeah. it was just insane. That is crazy. Now I think there's in the movement in the shoe industry in general is towards sustainability and I can, you know, your shoes are natural, like motion and all that stuff. Are you guys, is that a big priority of yours or is that just kind of like a side? Um, if you can, yes. And again, yes and no, and neither and both. So let me start with this. I've done, I've done a bunch of rants about this. Uh, sustainability is mostly hand waving and lies. 
Let's just start there. There's an article, I can point you to it from the Harvard Business Review, called The Myth of Sustainability. If you look it up, you'll find it. And the gist is that when it comes to the apparel and footwear industry, the, quote, sustainable materials just aren't doing what people think. They're not taking carbon out of the environment. They're not using less energy to produce. By and large, there are a few exceptions, so, but mostly not. And they have a line in the summary of that article, which is less unsustainable is not sustainable. Mm, yeah. And some of the things that people are doing about sustainability actually breed more unsustainableness. For example, <laughs> saying, hey, you can, like, you can recycle these products. Well, people think that's great, and then they try to find a way to recycle them, but only like 10% right. of that stuff actually does get recycled, and right. most of it ends up in landfills. But because people feel good that they can recycle, they're buying more, exactly. which puts more in the landfill. But I, I so, think that that is the case. They we want to feel good about what we're we're doing, whether well, that's, whether the benefits. That's are. the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. We want to feel good about what we're doing, so douchebag marketers will make you feel good <laughs> about lies. And well, I, um, I, so here, I don't know if they're well, douchebags, so but all birds. Uh, no, they like are. we just. Oh we, Jesus! We just okay. uh, got their shoes. Oh, oh my. And they came in a very elaborate box. With, yeah. like, I'm like, if you're really in a sustainable, you send it not like in a paper bag or something. <laughs> yeah. So, so not to, you know, uh, speak bad of the soon to be dead. Um, <laughs> the, the, and I, I only say that cause you know, their stock, it opened at 28 or so, and now it's around seven and a half or eight. Oh, um, that's right. but, he, but here's the thing. Let's just say this. They're currently being sued in a class action lawsuit for being misleading and lying about their sustainability claims. Oh, really? Early on, they were saying, yeah. Early on, they were saying, it's all about sustainability. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so they were saying, hey, we're using wool, so it's sustainable. But they were then flying the wool from New Zealand to Italy to make the uppers, then flying the uppers back to Korea to put them on the soles, then flying them in, like you said, the most elaborate box ever made around the world. Well, that's... And they were... When you said, you know, flying stuff and everything, the amount of times that we've talked to different companies and they're flying product in, they're doing this, whatever your carbon footprint was before it got, you blew it. You blew it, yeah, it. it's like gone, but yeah, there, there was a, I don't remember where I saw it. Um, it was a, a guy in California from Netherlands originally who like totally off the grid, um, everything's sustainable in his house, but he flies back to the Netherlands once a year to see his family and that negates <laughs> but his, so, his argument would be like imagine i wasn't <laughs> but, well yeah look yeah. it's true but so here's our sustainable story a we're not going to lie we're not going to greenwash we're not going to make things yeah. up b we the biggest thing we can do is keep things out of landfills look let's do fact number two everything's eventually going to end up in a landfill okay mm-hmm. so hopefully in a landfill not in the ocean so the biggest thing we want to do is keep things on people's feet right so we right. made our souls with a different rubber uh, compound that we developed that we have a 5,000 mile sole warranty. Compare that to most running shoes where they say replace them every two to 300 miles because they're gonna wear out because the EVA midsole sure, wears out sure. and then you gotta, you gotta trash them. Also, some more shoes. Well, also true, um, which is also reprehensible. So the, um, the second thing we're doing, we are using more sustainable materials when we can, when it's legit. So we're using more hemp canvas, for example. Um, leather is actually a sustainable material in a way. Cows are not killed to make leather if they don't use the leather. It just gets burned or thrown away. Mm-hmm. So um, we're but cows sensitive do to die. that. We're not <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's like, it's I mean, like not, scrap we, wool. We are, it's like they're yeah. going to throw yeah. that stuff out anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, most of what we make uh, are vegan-friendly products, but we do have a few leather products for specific reasons. But the other thing is that we do have a new product coming out um, in a couple of days, actually, where the upper is almost, I think it's like 95% uh, made out of recycled PET, recycled plastics essentially, and the sole is treated with a material that makes it be makes it more biodegradable in a landfill, and we want to see how this performs and how it does, and then start using those materials more and more. And here's the biggest thing, really, if it turns out because the companies making these materials are not always very transparent, if it turns out that we were snowed, that in our due diligence we we thought we were doing something that was a useful product and it's not, then A, we're going to switch, and B, we're going to fess up right away. Again, transparency is like super important to us. We're doing the best we can, and if we're wrong, because human beings have been wrong, we want you to know, and we want to, and basically if we're wrong, the whole industry is, mm -hmm. and we want people to be aware of that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen, uh, we've had some shoes in the past where it's like, oh, it's made out of this and this, and I'm like, uh, we don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, but the performance isn't as good and as yeah. other stuff, and now I'm just not going to use it. Like, I do think we, uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too far down the environmental right, yeah, train, because, yeah. like, we could, we could just keep it's going and going and going. So, yeah. Yeah, we could. All right, pick um, a new topic. <laughs> uh, well, one of the things that, uh, kind of going back to when you first started the company, I know we're going back a little bit, but I, I forgot to ask this. You... You said you didn't have any competitors at the time, but on the Shark Tank episode, kind of. you said that there was a company that was in that same space that had taken on investors. And I don't know if, I don't know if it was like Ultra or someone or like if it was a similar company um, like that. But I did don't remember was, Ultra who, was never I know they were minimalist. minimal, but I didn't know if they no, were no, like they in were. that natural No, movement. no, no. Ultra started out as a minimalist company. If you want to have fun, look up the Ultra Atom shoe and you'll see it's a super minimalist shoe yeah. and what happened with them is that um, they were having some financial challenges and a company bought bailed them out basically and then they controlled that that company controlled ultra and said we need to make you know start making things with cushioning and padding because that'll sell better and not this crazy minimalist stuff and um and in fact now their new owner uh the vf corporation right is going away from everything that they originally believed. Yeah, it's, but, uh, so. Well, not, not totally, like, um, what's his name, Gold? Um, uh, uh, golden. Golden. golden yeah, Golden. It, uh, the, the way that I understood it started was they started cutting out uh, parts of the drop of the shoe, so, like, if, to make it zero drop. And then the first one was, like, the provision. I, I forget which one it was. No. Look, look up, look up the, look up the atom. I look up the atom, but I don't um, think that was the first one. But I, you, maybe I'm um, wrong. Well, what they, what, what was happening was Golden's dad owned a shoe store, mm -hmm. a running shoe company store, and they were sanding off the sole. So you know, taking something with a big drop and just sanding it to make it flat. That was yeah. one of the first things they did. Yeah. But when they started, their first couple of commercial products were totally minimalist. Yeah, it's super. It was under five ounces with a very thin sole. Yeah. Okay. It was a yeah. minimal shoe. Um, it was kind of like actually it was now that I I haven't looked at it in years, but I looked it up the other week. It was kind of like our Z Trek sandal with an upper. Okay. If you look at wow. that shoe. So yeah. so that that's what I found interesting because of the whole you know boom and minimal running and you know while you had some major players like Merrill or Adidas or whoever doing the minimal thing, there wasn't anyone else really going all in. I guess in the way that you did with. Uh, no, well, not here. Um, in the UK, there's oh, a company, okay. Vivo Barefoot. And oh, so right, they right. were doing it way. Yeah, they were doing it before us. I mean, again, we didn't have our first closed toe shoe 
until 20, end of 2016, mm. they started out, before they were Vivo Barefoot, they were Terra Plana, and they made a kind of minimalist shoe back in, geez, this is 2000, uh, gosh, 2008 maybe? Even okay. earlier, I can't remember. I think I was mixing so, you together with Vivo. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I met, there were, you had at the time Five Fingers, and there wasn't, like the first one, there were sandals and Five Fingers, and then there was like a closed toe. Um, could be. Um, they, yeah, we, we, we're, we're, we refer to ourselves as friendly competitors and they're, uh, but they really weren't, they didn't really have a U.S. presence or even an online presence in those early okay. days. Gotcha. Um, and it, so when you came up with the closed toe shoe, did that, was that kind of a game changer for you as far as boosting yeah. revenue? Uh, yeah. So the way it happened is f- kind of from day one, our customers would tell us what they wanted next, and mm-hmm. then we had to figure out a way to do it. So it's like the DIY sandal, hey, that's great, but I'm not going to make my own. So I came up with a way of having a ready-to-wear version of that same idea that I've got a patent on. Hey, I like that sandal, but I don't want something you know with a thong thing between my toes, even though the way our lacing system works, it's not like a flip-flop. You don't get those pressure points. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's great, but what do I do in the winter or when I have to go to work? That led to the first closed-toe shoe. Hey, what about a running shoe version of that? Hey, what about a trail version of that? Hey, mm-hmm. what about... And so most of our product development has been from the, hey, what about uh, emails that we get. And then some of it is we look at the line and see where there are holes that we know we can fill um, because we, we're basically trying to give people an option for whatever they want to do. Since once you, once you have a shoe that's really lightweight, really flexible, lets your toes spread, doesn't mess with your posture, lets you feel the ground safely, you just don't want to go back because it just feels wrong when you can't feel the ground again or when your posture's out of whack because you have an elevated heel or your toes get squeezed together. And, and so um, we just keep being told to you know, do this next thing because it's another use case that no one has taken advantage of yet. Yeah. And um, so obviously in your past, like you've run in quote-unquote normal shoes like higher stack yeah. cushion and everything <laughs> well i mean i would say yeah. you know like the general well, like as far as like traditional standard industry well, yeah well, exactly. well i want to pause i want to pause because they're not traditional the modern running shoe is that's a 50 true. year old invention right. that that's true was pull, that was basically pulled out of someone's butt it <laughs> well, was a made Bowerman's up butt. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, actually no 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 not really so, no here's what happened if you if uh, i don't know if you're old enough the first waffle trainer was a minimalist shoe for all practical purposes. About 10 millimeters of foam, zero drop. I was 10 years old or so when I put that on my foot, and it was awesome. And what happened is some guys who were in Bowerman's building, orthopedic podiatrists or sports podiatrists, I can never remember which, uh, Bowerman said, I'm getting runners with Achilles tendonitis. What do I do? And these guys said, well, clearly their Achilles have shortened from wearing higher heel dress shoes walking around. Make a higher heel running shoe. Put a wedge of foam in there um, to make their Achilles more comfortable. And so that's what Bowerman did. And the shoe sold because it was some novel new idea. And the footwear industry is a bunch of copycats, not a lot of creativity. And so suddenly it kind of caught on. Now, cut to 30 years later when a guy who I know who spent years working with Bowerman directly was at a track meet with one of these podiatrists and said, you know, your idea is now being used by pretty much every performance shoe company in the world. What do you think about that? And the doc says, biggest mistake we ever made. He said, we, we, we made up this Achilles shortening thing. We didn't really have evidence for that. We didn't know if, you know, the difference between walking in a dress shoe versus running was really a thing. We were just seeing everything through a prosthetic lens. So we came up with this idea, and then it just took off. And basically, in the last 50 years, 
every quote new invention in footwear is some version of that same thing, some different form of cushioning. And we don't have to get into the details, but once you elevate the heel with cushioning, it leads to every other problem that the shoes have tried to correct for. It leads to instability, so now they have to try and build motion control, which never works. It leads to um, uh, excessive force on the plantar fascia and in your arch, so they put in arch support so you don't have to use your arch, which sounds like a great idea, but when you don't use muscles, guess what? They get weaker, and there's research that shows that. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, I would argue, and there's research to back this up, that, the, that every piece of the design of the modern athletic shoe causes the problems they claim that it's addressed, uh, uh, trying to address. To the point that Nike did a study that came out a couple of years ago where they, design, they said they designed a shoe to reduce injury, as if any uh, shoe was ever react, designed to react infinity, yeah. yeah. The react, yeah, react infinity. Mm-hmm. And it says, hey, reduced injury by 52% which was true compared to their best-selling motion-controlled padded elevated structure. heel arch-supporting shoe, mm-hmm. the Zoom structure. But here's the kick. In their 12-week study, where an injury was called anything that could, took you out for at least three training sessions in a row, which is basically at least a week, mm-hmm. um, that was an injury. That's legit. Some of the anti-barefoot stories, they called an injury calf soreness. So different game. Anyway, in the Zoom structure, over 30% got injured in under 12 weeks. In the React Infinity, 15% did. So 15%, let's call that one out of seven, roughly. Uh-huh. 30%, let's call it two out of seven just for the fun of seven days in a week. Which restaurant can I buy you dinner at every night this week? The one that gives you food poisoning <laughs> twice or the one that only gives it to you once? I mean, that study was promoted as Nike shoe reduces injuries 52%. It this, could have just as easily been called Nike proves their shoes hurt people. Yeah. I mean, I, I will on the flip side of that, though. Uh, you know, I've been reviewing shoes for a long time. And when yeah. I was doing the minimal shoes is the only time I I know I know you're going to you're going to say that it's not the same thing. But No, no, no. I'll say it yeah. is the same thing. It's that it's two things. One, what shoe were you wearing? At the time I was wearing several different shoes. So I was wearing everything from the Saucony Hitori to the Merrill Trail Glove. Not minimalist. The, not the, minimalist. To I mean I didn't do I wasn't I never never did the Vibrams. Uh no need. Uh, yeah. Um, but here, here's the thing. There's, there's two points. Again, research from Irene Davis showed that a lot of these shoes that were being called minimalist were not minimalist enough. And what that means is you weren't getting enough feedback to do the most important thing. It has nothing to do with the shoes. It's all about the form, not the footwear. It's all about the gait. And it's all about transitioning properly. It's all about landing with your foot underneath you and using your muscles, ligaments, and tendons, which if you haven't used for a while, Look, if you haven't been to the gym for a couple of years, you don't go and do eight hours of biceps curls. You go and you do a set. You wait till you don't feel sore. You do another set. When you don't feel sore, then you add some weight or add some reps. So people were transitioning improperly, and often because of the shoes they were wearing, still running with the same overstriding heel striking form, which will undeniably cause a problem if you don't have all the other protective stuff. But the last but not least point is, the comparison was never made between the normal injury rate for runners in, quote, normal shoes, which is over 50% per year, 50% of runners up to 80% of marathoners, compared to people who have adapted to minimalist footwear. And there is no research on that yet because it would cost a couple million bucks. And guess what? The only companies that would benefit from it are yeah. small companies like ours who don't have yeah. a couple million bucks. Yeah. So, like, in your... So, I'm, I'm, sorry, I wanted to say, I'm not going to argue your your point but i want to highlight that the whole the, that the 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 idea the fact that you brought it up that way is actually showing how much control the big shoe companies had over the conversation yeah well they do because but it, none it, of us what it what it did was 
I, I fractured my third metatarsal running it. And, and totally could not be more familiar. And I, I attribute that to my running in the minimal shoes and not having protection under my feet. And here's the, here's okay. the thing. You, you're, you're close. You're absolutely right. Except you don't need the protection under your feet. You need your feet under your hips. See that third between the third metatarsal fracture, actually third, fourth, and fifth are pretty common, not common, but there, if someone's going to say, I got a stress fracture, that's what happens because that's where you're going to be landing on your foot. And if you're overstriding and I would put, I would bet my entire company that if you showed me a video of you running, you were overstriding. And so that bone is not designed to handle that force. When your arch is engaged, when you land on your midfoot underneath your center of mass, you're actually engaging the arch of your foot in a way that is freakishly strong. Here's a, here's a, I, I never thought of saying it until now. Why don't sprinters get fifth and third to fifth metatarsal stress fractures? Almost never happens. Mm. Yeah. So they're landing on the ball of their foot underneath their body. They're using the arch. They're applying three times more force to their body than you are as a non-sprinter, but they're not getting that same kind of injury because the arch is designed to handle that kind of force when used correctly. When used incorrectly, totally not able to. So that's the difference. People, people keep confusing the footwear with the form, and that's what caused the problem and the seeming backlash. Shoot. And again, no one looked at, you know, what happens if you switch from one shoe to any other, no, quote, normal shoe? The injury rates are higher than what we were seeing in people switching to minimalist footwear. So, so here's my question, and you're saying you're, you're overstriding or whatnot. Now, if you, are, are you saying that if you wear minimal or you know, barefoot shoes, minimal shoes, whatever, uh, that we, is your, does your stride automatically correct? Is, it, is that something you have to consciously be aware Great of question. the whole time? Um, yeah. If you took off your shoes and ran barefoot on the road, um, and you w didn't have the idea of no pain, no gain, and you were willing to commit to finding a way to make it work that felt good because people have been doing that since the dawn of people. And I can t introduce you to hundreds of thousands of people who run in bare feet on roads enjoyably for hundreds of miles a week. I mean, we had a guy, our first customer service guy around 150 miles a week. And the only thing under his foot was four millimeters of rubber from our first sandal. And he was 65 years old, no That's problem crazy. ever. So if you get enough feedback, the simplest thing I can say is doing it wrong hurts, doing it right feels good. And if you use that as a gauge, your gait will change. I did research uh, in the lab with Dr. Bill Sands. He was former head of biomechanics for the US Olympic committee. And we just took shoes off people's feet and had them running on his massive treadmill. 90% of them switched to a midfoot strike underneath their body without any intervention whatsoever. Mm. The other handful that didn't needed about 30 seconds of coaching, and then they did too. If you put anything else under your foot that's adding more, quote, protection, or more accurately, reducing the amount of feedback you get from the ground, the longer it can take. And last but not least, Everyone's got a different neurology. Some people are better at, at hearing that message from their body and making changes than others. And so for me, it took one barefoot run with a big blister under the ball of my foot and then a second barefoot run to try to figure out how to run without causing what clearly <laughs> caused the blister. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it was done. I mean, it was literally, that's how long it took. It was a nine-day period and my gait changed permanently because I'm just good at picking up new movement patterns. And I've basically been, you know, I went from two years of almost nonstop injuries to, I can't remember the last time I had an injury in the last 12 years. Wait, for, that's what, I, that's what my next question was going to be. Like, how, like since you've, since you personally have started running and, 
your shoes basically have you or, had or barefoot have you had injuries that have put you out for more than a week mm-hmm. that is no now i'm not saying that's going to happen to everyone yeah because you know no, I mean, it happens right sometimes muscles don't fire in the right order you step on some weird thing there's no pro- i mean i've gotten two, two injuries i got the same injury twice i stubbed my toe twice oh okay how how like and not and not running while walking how what does your running look like like what kind of runner are you i know you do sprinting well, right? Yeah, I'm a master's all-American sprinter. So um, I'm on, well, I do road stuff and hills and trails just for training, but I'm mostly on the track. Okay. And I'm doing, you know, short distance stuff, but how, very high intensity. What, like how many miles a week do you run? Miles? What the hell? I don't know what a mile <laughs> Meters, um, kilometers. <laughs> um, yeah, like like if you're a sprinter, uh, uh, not including warm-ups or cool-down time where you'll put in a couple miles, mm-hmm. um, an actual sprint training session is you know somewhere around one to two k tops. Because mm-hmm. gotcha. I'm a hundred meter runner outdoor, sixty meter indoor. Yeah. So the the thing for as a sprinter, you just want to be able to run as fast as you can with every session you do, which each with each run you do. So if you're doing like more than ten by a hundred, I mean that's a heavy workout. Right. Uh, so if, especially if you're going for speed, a tempo workout, 10 by hundred is not a big deal, but for speed, 10 by hundred is a lot of volume. What made you go back to sprinting? Because I feel like it's the complete opposite as people get older, they tend to do more longer distance running than like slow twitch versus fast <laughs> yeah. twitch muscle. Yeah, well, that's it. It's, you know, sprinters are born, not made. And so if you were a sprinter, I know very few sprinters who've become successful distance runners, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't that I had a choice between sprinting and quote running. I just never was a runner. It was never enjoyable and I wasn't good at it, um, but I was always a sprinter. So when I heard about it, uh, when I, a friend of mine said, you know, there's a whole master's track and field circuit. And I went, what? And uh, it just was the happiest day of my life. Final check-in. Great run today. You're doing spectacular. Again, I'm just going to mention that you may want to check out that podcast from Rich Roll on the uh, creating a stronger mindset. I think it's really a valuable tool for me this week in getting ready for my race and getting in the right headspace for it and you know feeling things out. So check that out. But wait till the end of this one to do that and the end of your run or whatever. Listen to it in the car or something. But see you next week. You know, we were talking about injuries and barefoot running and how to transition yeah. into a, a gait or a stride. What I was wondering is do people like is it, I think one of the deterrents to running in barefoot shoes is that people don't want to throw away their entire like don't life or don't, shoes or don't throw everything. it away <laughs> don't do it okay don't oh, no i'm serious so look let, let me i should have done this earlier and my apologies for being stupid but it's a friday morning and my brain is not working <laughs> so here's the thing stay in your normal shoes do not change i don't care if you change I, I have no interest in you switching to minimalist footwear for everything you do none but check this out is dr isabel sacco did some research where she gave runners in quote, normal shoes, an intervention over the course of about eight weeks, I think. And that intervention, and I'll tell you what it is in a second, reduced their chance of injury by 250% over the course of the next year. In other words, the people who did this intervention had, or better yet, the people who didn't have this intervention, two and a half times more likely to get injured than the ones who had the intervention. So what's the intervention? Foot strengthening. 
they did a foot exercise program to strengthen their feet. Really? And that made them more, less likely to be injured by two and a half times. Quick aside, we have a professional ice hockey player who says uh, she's playing better than ever and skating better than ever because she's wearing our shoes off the ice when her shoes are, when her feet are totally bound up when she's on the ice, which brings me to my next point. Dr. Sarah Ridge, she showed that just walking in minimalist shoes, like zero shoes, she didn't use us for the study, but said our shoes should give the same benefit. Just walking in minimalist shoes builds foot muscle strength as much as doing a foot exercise program. So I'll say, I'll admit, there is not a study showing that if you just walk in our shoes and you're running in normal, quote, normal shoes, mm -hmm. you're reducing your injuries by two and a half times. But I'm gonna, because we haven't, no one's done that study, right. but let's do the math. Stronger feet, fewer injuries, walking in minimalist shoes, stronger feet you figure out what's on the other side of the equal sign. Yeah. Yeah, so just, okay. You know, do things to strengthen the most important thing that you have in your body when you're running is your feet. Mm -hmm. And when you have arch support, another piece of research from Katrina Protopapas, putting arch support in the shoes of healthy individuals reduced their foot muscle strength and size by up to 17% in 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. So you're doing things that weaken your foot. And this is not rocket science. Right, yeah. Use it or lose sure. it. Support a joint that gets weaker. Use it; it can get stronger. Yeah. So, like my mind is running whatever you want to run in. <laughs> Walk around in these, you know, and yeah. then maybe if you want to try running, just start really slowly and like going to the gym. Build up slowly. So, do you think? Like, I mean, I think I'm going to know your answer, but do you think foot strength has the same equal? Uh, I don't know weight in the running equation as does say hip and glute strength? Because a lot of times when we're injured, we hear strengthen your hip, strengthen hip your glutes. and glutes. That there's a there's a really strong connection between those two. So, what you'll see with people who have weak glutes is two things. Very commonly, um, what's called vastus valgus. Their knee turns in because one of the functions of the glute yeah, is to turn your femurs out. Uh, guilty. And so if your knees, are, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so that's a glute strength thing, um, and there's some easy ways to fix that. And if you put your feet on the ground and you do tighten your glutes so it makes your femurs turn out slightly, but you leave your feet planted, you'll see that it creates an arch in your foot. Mm -hmm. So, and vice versa, if you build up the arch in your foot, mm -hmm. it also goes huh. up into your glutes and changes the way your, hip, your glutes and your hips work. So, what, so are, what, are, what are those exercises like, arch exercises or some things? Um, if you do a search for BYU, Brigham Young University, and foot strengthening exercises, mm -hmm. I think you'll find everything that Sarah Ridge did okay. in her study. And I'm and I have the the ones that Isabel Sacco did in hers and I'm turning that into an ebook. So I'll have that soon. Cool. But um, they're pretty straightforward exercises that anybody can do. It takes a few minutes a day. Okay. You know, from our perspective, we're addicted to some like I'll I'll speak for myself. I'm addicted to the shoes and the technology and the the thing I would find it difficult to um, you know, when we, we talk about like reviewing, it's got to be tough to review minimalist shoes because they're pretty much, I mean, upper changes, it's, right? <laughs> I mean, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'll send you some. You can tell me. Yeah. The, the biggest thing that I'll say is, again, don't think that the, that it's not the shoe. It's not the form. It's the, sorry, it's not the footwear. It's the form. Yeah. That's the most important thing to think about. Mm -hmm. And the next important thing to think about is because of that. You don't want to just switch cold turkey. Yeah, yeah. So there was a study that, you know, it was an anti-Vibram study. It's like, these people got injured. It's like, you told them to switch cold turkey and you never <laughs> right, looked at right. the form. Oh, the hell? that I is mean, one of the questions I want to ask you. What does that look like uh, transitioning into a barefoot shoe? So this is one of those things where humans, uh, and for some reason I'll include myself in that list, 
we like simple answers. We like a step-by-step thing, mm-hmm. but it's not so simple because we're all unique little sure. snowflakes. So the basic Robbie's idea is mm-hmm. if you want to run, yeah, if you want to run barefoot, for example, just as an idea, you want to go do a, like find a smooth, hard surface. It's going to give you the most feedback. It's the most fun. If you can find like a freshly painted white line on the side of the road, that just makes people like me misty-eyed. <laughs> um, and then you want, to, you want to do a short run, 20 seconds. You see how you feel the next day. If you feel just a little muscularly sore, wait till you feel better. Do that 20 seconds again till you're having a good time. Mm. Basically, if you're not having fun, do something different till you are. Mm. You can spot a barefoot runner from 100 yards. They have this weird look on their face called um, smiling. (laughs) And uh, so if it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel like you want to keep doing more, make some changes till it does, which means getting your feet underneath you picking up your cadence a little bit so you're more steps per minute but not running faster and just a few extra steps per minute just to play with that. And then as that, once that feels good, add 10 seconds. When that feels good, add 10 seconds. When that feels good, add 10 seconds. And then when you could do like, you know, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is, then just start building that into whatever your weekly training regimen is. So do a little barefoot or minimalist at the beginning and then switch out if you want. Or do one day and then add a half a day. I mean, you... The, the way I like to think of it is this. If you, if you break your arm and it ends up in a cast, when you take the cast off, you have two choices. Just keep supporting it and do nothing. Or take some time to build up some strength that you can then use for the rest of your life. This is the same idea. If you've been keeping your feet weak by not letting them function naturally, by squeezing your toes together, by messing with your posture, does it, does it not make sense to do something that might make you healthier, again, like Isabel's research, less prone to injury for the rest of your life by just letting your, taking some time to build up strength the same way you would do if you got your arm out of a cast? Of course, it, I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's the way you want to think of it. It's just like, give yourself some time. Don't think, I wanna, I've got a marathon in six weeks. I want to make sure I can run it barefoot. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're ready when you're ready, not a day before, not a day after. Just give it some time. And again, if, you're, if you use fun and enjoyment as your guide, you can't go wrong. Gotcha. Um, if, you're, if you're sitting there you know, really goal-oriented, there's a high probability you'll do something that gets in the way of making that natural transition. Right, right. Um, and again, you know, the more, there are a lot of people that I've met who call themselves barefoot runners who've never had their bare feet on the ground. Mm. I'm not suggesting that you go barefoot. I mean, you don't have to do that. That's why we have a shoe company. <laughs> but um, you, know, you, you want as much feedback as you can. And although we often say go barefoot. I mean, what we say Barefoot is better when you're when barefoot's not appropriate. That's why we make what we make. Yeah, and you just want to make sure you're not getting a shoe that's called barefoot or called minimalist for just marketing purposes mm-hmm. without being legitimately so. And that's the annoying thing that I see is people trying to get on the bandwagon, making something that you know, hey, it's flexible, yeah, but it's still two inches thick. Hey, it's lightweight, yeah, it's still two inches thick. <laughs> hey, you know, it's right. so you got to be careful. Cool. All right. All right. Uh, anything that covers else? it for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, seriously, um, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows where the truck is parked. <laughs> I can get you some shoes. Yeah, I'm interested. No, for and sure. Again, you know, the goal is really just play with them, put them on, take them to the gym, walk around, see how you feel. At some point, I guarantee, as little as I know each of you, I guarantee you're going to go, 
wonder what happens if I go run a quarter mile. <laughs> no, dude, I run in, I, I know it's again, probably not technically minimal, but every once in a while I'll run in my Tevas, like just, uh, you know, a little bit. It feels fun. It's nice. Uh, <laughs> definitely fun. Definitely, definitely still way too. Fun. Yeah. Tevas. Yeah. Tevas got we'll see. <laughs> 20 millimeters on them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's, yeah, the, no, we'll do, it we'll the do version two of this. <laughs> Yeah, we'll do we'll do version two of this after you've got some stuff on your feet and I mean see what I think start. it would make good video content. I would be definitely willing to at least like go on hikes and like the stuff I do with my kids and family. Like oh yeah, yeah try them out. Well, he's, and again, same thing with hiking. <laughs> yeah, too late. <laughs> well, it's the same thing with hiking. When you're coming down a hill, mm-hmm. get your feet underneath you. Don't put the brakes on by overstriding right. when you're when you're uh, doing that. Yeah, I bet you lost your. Did you ever see that Hoka trail shoe with a huge heel on it? Oh my God! Yeah, what, you the hell? Line you saw that. <laughs> what the hell? Oh man, yeah. that was a wild one. It, it, uh, you know, there's room for play on uh, both sides. I think uh, you know it's it's fun to have uh, some outrageous equipment on all sides. You know, yeah. I don't know. Don't get me started. Steve's like, Steve's like <laughs> <laughs> we, it seems like we'd have another hour. <laughs> um, all right. Well, it was good talking to you, dude. I appreciate you. You know, obviously we run in a lot of uh, shoes that have way higher stack and cushions. So I do like hearing, uh, you know, the other side of the coin as far as viewpoint and, you know, running shoes. and whatever. Well, you know, I'll just say this about the other side of the coin. I was on a panel discussion at the American College of Sports Medicine against some guys from Brooks and Adidas, and they kept Talk, saying, you know, well, we want to improve performance and reduce injury. We just can't, you know, haven't gotten a study to do that because it's really expensive and time-consuming and difficult. It's like, dude, if you can make a shoe better than the guy sitting next to you and prove it, that's worth billions of dollars. Don't tell me it's <laughs> just hard and expensive. Right. Um, but the, uh, the, oh, there was actually a better point that I was going to make about that. Oh, I kept asking them for every time they made some claim. I said, well, where's your proof? And there isn't really any. But if you start diving into the research on natural movement, what you find is just study after study after study after study about using your body the way it was designed is better than not. Yeah. Again, it's use it or lose it. I call it the dumbest stu- science in the world because do we really have to prove that it's better to use your body the way it was intended versus binding it up and not using it? It's like Occam's razor and the most logical yeah. <laughs> solution. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah. Robbie's anyway. favorite. That's my favorite because nobody, because everybody well, ignores it. I don't want to be incredulous. Uh, but there we go. Money word of the day. I just made another five dollars. Everybody do a shot every time you hear it incredulous right, on this podcast. All right. All right, Steven. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Pleasure, guys. All right, buddy. All right, talk nice. to you soon. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> that was a good one, Robbie. I had you a lot of fun. Real excited yeah. about that. Yeah, it was good. We went deep. Shark Tank. Yeah. Um, who doesn't love a little Shark Tank? I love a Shark Tank. Megan does love Shark Tank. She's always Googling whoever's up. How are they doing now? Yeah. And they usually seem to fare better than the restaurant, like the Gordon Ramsay's ones. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, better. Yeah, but the, you're also in the restaurant industry. If you have a feeling restaurant, like, you're just failing. That's not coming back. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of all the stuff that happened in the COVID era. Restaurants, man. How did that, how, like, how did these people get through it? And right now they're having struggling just to get people to work there because people are addicted to the cash. Yeah. But maybe with the gas prices hitting ninety dollars a gallon, now uh, people will start going back to work. Yeah. Or inflation and wait, what are we even talking about? I don't know. I this, this is, is the wrong podcast. podcast, guys. Yeah, listen to the New York Times Daily for that <laughs> stuff. Um, so yeah. All right, Anyways, let's wrap it up. Yeah. This, 
I just keep saying yeah. <laughs> you need that second cup. Robbie, who do you want to thank this week? No, you have to go first because I never remember. This is like ordering at a restaurant. It, but I, I, I just teed you up first, first, which is the easiest one, which is I want to thank all the listeners. Oh, well, hey. obviously I want to thank all the listeners. <laughs> yeah, Everyone you, who's still here after you, this week's very long episode. You probably want to thank Matt Kacharski for helping you with your 20-mile long run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to refer to him as Cooch. So Cooch. people are Coochie just like Maine. a wiser guy named Cooch. Yeah, Cooch. Hang out with us. All right. Anyway, I want to thank this team right here and Brandon. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun. Brandon started the Thursday night run club out of the office and I normally hate running at night and I'm somehow enjoying it, having fun. So we were born in the night. Yeah. I, I don't know what that, that means. Is that, is that what Batman says? I don't, it might also be the something lost in the boys dark. or something. Um, the, uh, anyway, having a lot of fun with that. Uh, I also want to thank our guests for coming on. I appreciate them taking their time out of their day to talk to us and, their passion so that's awesome Meg who do you want to thank our team yeah we got a great team and what about Brandon producing he's on the team yeah. he's part of the team what about uh, your mom uh, hi mom alright so right. wrap it up yeah Rob is, is there I just need a to double clarify. hidden track this week <laughs> this is one hidden track I need to clarify that quote because I really messed it up <laughs> in Batman it's Bane who says you think darkness is your ally You've merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. <laughs> That's almost good. You sound like Dracula. I like that it was, yeah. you weren't just uh, reading uh, that uh, quote. Uh, you one, had to like... one, two, three <laughs> quotes from Batman. Uh, uh, uh. All right. Okay, we got to go. All right, and that's funny that of all the vampires you would take, count, count, count from Sesame yeah. Street. Uh, how old are your kids now? Uh, I do some good Sesame Streets. All right. All right. Well, peace out. Bye. Listen for the hidden track. We'll see you next week and enjoy your run.